You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Michal Ledenwith was professor of systematic theology for 16 years at Maynooth College in Ireland, president of the university for 10 years. He served for 17 years as a member of the International Theological Commission. His book is The Orb Project. Thank you for joining me, Michal. It's a great honor indeed, Rick. Let's start out with orbs. To many people, they look just like uh, pieces of dust stuck in the lens. How do we know that's not the case? Well, I was more skeptical, I think, than anyone. I was on breakfast TV in Portland a couple of weeks ago at 9 in the morning for seven minutes live, and the two uh, interviewers were far from skeptical, but they said some people are skeptical. I said, well, I certainly was skeptical more than the two of you put together. So obviously everything that I uh, said and did and put down eventually in the book with Klaus Heinemann uh, was subjected to the most acerbic skepticism on my part. But, you know, basically we've gone into all this in the book and um, dust particles and pollen and raindrops can form uh, images that apparently do look like orbs. But it's really easy to tell them from the real thing. And, you know... uh, I was a a very keen amateur photographer for many years, but if you go more than, say, two feet or so from the lens with a dust particle or a pollen particle or a raindrop, it will not hardly register at all. And if you have someone standing 10 feet away and there's an orb half obscured by their head, well, you know that that's not a dust particle or a pollen. There are lots of false orb pictures around, but they're mainly due to lens flare, which I analyze in the book, not to pollen particles or raindrops, etc., so, yes, uh, you know, if you're asking me, am I confident that these are the real thing? Absolutely. I have probably the largest collection of orb photographs in the world over the last six or seven years, uh, 150,000 images approximately. And I assure you, I know I know the real goods from, from what looks like it, but it's not. Well, when did you start photographing orbs and why? Well, the very first time that I even heard of orbs, even though I had orb pictures in my collection from, you know, 20, 30 years ago, even on ordinary film camera, was from my teacher, Ramtha, uh, at the Ramtha School of Ancient Wisdom. He gave a long teaching on orbs in, I think it was 2001 or two, And after that, I started photographing these people, uh, these beings, because I was fascinated by the implications that had for the understanding of reality. And that, in fact, my new DVD is coming out in about uh, two weeks' time called Clues to a More Exciting Universe, because I think all of the things that we hold precious, such as soul and spirit and what happens to me after death and where are my beloved people who have died and gone before me into the fullness of hope and did I pop in here unannounced I was conceived in my mother's womb or is there more to it than that what happened before life which most of the western religions have nothing whatsoever to say about it so I think all of these uh, very precious beliefs to us all are now able to be reformulated in much more comforting and hopeful terms than was possible before this is a great opportunity for us all and everyone can do this who has even the simplest digital camera You don't have to have very expensive equipment, say like the wonderful work of 
Dr. Masaru Emoto on the water crystals, you know, which requires extremely uh, heavy technical equipment. All you need for this is a cheap digital camera and you are accessing a realm that previously was barred to everyone except gurus, mystics, saints and avatars. There's a, a quantum consciousness, quantum reality aspect to this that, that jives with uh, modern physics, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you'll find described in, in the book, The Orb Phenomenon, and in some things that I have said as well in uh, a DVD that Hope and Randy Mead brought out called Orbs the Veils Are Lifting, that the corresponding to the colors of orbs, you can adduce that there are different dimensions of existence. Uh, and we're on the bottom shelf. As my old teacher said one time, don't worry about going to hell, you're already there. <laughs> so uh, there are. I mean, I think my major, dis major discovery with orbs was to realize that orbs are not captured by reflected light from a camera flash like you and I would be or dogs, cats, mountains, houses. Uh, that bounces off the person from the camera flash. It comes back in and is recorded in the camera lens and on the plate that pr preserves the images. But orbs are not, don't, they're not reflecting back the light. The light goes into the orb. It changes into electrons from photons. It spins the amount of orbs in the orb up to a higher, uh, amount of electrons in the orb up to a higher shelf, as they say in physics. It's like blowing up a balloon. And then once the stimulus of the camera stops, the orbs shrink back to close to their ordinary size, but slightly more. And there's no room, obviously, for the surplus electrons that came from the camera flash. So those are spit out. And those are the particles that come back as light photons to be recorded in the camera. Now, that's called fluorescence in physics. It's a very, very valuable tool in physics for determining the makeup of whatever object is fluorescing the light. So that tells us if you've got a blue orb, that is from the fourth plane with the electron voltage of that kind of light. If you've got a pink orb, it's from the fifth plane of existence with the electron voltage of that kind of light. If you've got a red orb, it's from the infrared just below visible light with that electron voltage. So I think that was my main discovery and it shows us, I think, that not alone are these orbs there, but that they all belong to different realms of existence, that there are seven layers superimposed upon other and the difference between them is frequency. This has enormous repercussions, Rick, because it enables me to know that if I can change my frequency, then the quality and the caliber and the delight of what I allow into my orbit is going to be determined by that. In physics, as you mentioned in the question, this is known as the observer effect in the quantum field. Well, this is just fascinating. Uh, how did you determine the, which color orb belonged to which layer of reality? Well, you can measure the electron voltage of the light. A light, you know, of a certain, I don't want to get into technicalities here, but a light of a certain electron voltage uh, belongs to that particular realm. We know that from physics. It's already well known. So let's say we have the electromagnetic spectrum, which comes from radio waves here at the bottom up to uh, X-rays and gamma rays and infinite unknown at the top. Now at the bottom of that scale, you know, the waves of light are maybe the size of uh, a bacterium or a virus or something at, in visible light. 
they soon as they go down become the size of a football field and at the very end of radio waves you have waves of of uh, electromagnetic radiation that are the size of the very earth itself so obviously all of this template is already known to us in physics so if you're getting fluorescent light which i believed the orbs are emitting because the image of the orb comes back to the camera slightly later than the image of ordinary objects and I deduced from that, because the, the camera lens was closing, that it must come from fluorescence. And everything has borne that out. So it would seem to me that there are orbs that are red, there are orbs that are white, there are orbs that are blue, there are orbs that are gold, there are orbs that are silver. And these are the five levels above the physical in which, which we exist. These orbs are... are intelligent ent entities, is that correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think anyone who even experiments for the first time with a digital camera will will see that because they respond to invitation. They respond to frequency. Some people say orbs are drawn to religious services or they're drawn to meditation sessions or they're drawn to children's parties. And all of that's true. But I think the common denominator is not the quality of the event I in itself, you know, in terms of a label but the frequency that people are emitting. If people are joyful and happy, you'll have plenty of orbs around. If people are doom and gloom and poor me, there won't be any orbs, I think, eh, around them. So they respond to frequency. And they do respond to your invitations. In fact, I, I had a very convoluted five-month-long uh, exchange with them, which was accomplished by signaling, not through telepathy or anything like that. But that's all described in, in the book. I mean, it's a very elaborate uh, process, but it is all real. And, uh, you know, I've put down nothing there that I wasn't very, very sure of. You started out a as a, a Catholic theologian, and now you're observing orbs. <laughs> <laughs> this is a big journey. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, some people think it's a big journey. I was on a commission that was advisory to Pope John Paul II. President Pope Cardinal Ratzinger was the chairman of our commission, and I worked with him for uh, 16 of my 17 years on that. So some people might think that, you know, this is a strange uh, jump for me. I'm in around the School of Ancient Wisdom. I'm observing orbs. But, you know, it's really not because the the reason why I ever became a theologian in the first place and why, in, I suppose, in some respects, if you'll pardon the phrase, I got to the top of my profession, was because I was interested in those, uh, what I call the four great questions that everyone, whether they're atheist, agnostic, or fundamentalist believer, is trying to answer willy-nilly, which is, you know, who the heck am I? Am I just this two arms, two legs, and a body? Or is there more to me? Or uh, where did I come from? Did I just pop in here for the first time in my conception in my mother's womb? Uh, what should I do while I'm here? Observe Ten Commandments in Christianity, 538 in Judaism, or 721 in Islam? Or is there more to it? Is it just chalk, chalking up credits on God's computer that I can cash off when I die and go into through immigration into the pearly gates? There's much more to that. It's what Jesus said long ago so powerfully when he said, if you, you know, practice these teachings that I'm giving you, you will do all the wonders that I did, and greater indeed than these will you do. Why are we not doing that? because it's our birthright. It's not just an accolade or award that God gives us for being on good behavior. It's our birthright. We were meant to do that. The reason is we've given our power away in a multitude of ways. And if we took our power back, 
we would be free from many sicknesses, disease, bad luck, frailty, and the inevitable advance of old age. All this is within our grasp. And we have just to accept and know some basic facts. I think that is what the orb phenomenon is shouting to us loud and clear right now. We've been speaking with Michal Ledbeth. His new book is The Orb Project. Thank you for joining me, Michal. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.